what it was about was bringing all the mums that are running businesses into um, it's a, normally a three-day conference. So it's a mastermind, and then there's two. There's you get all different options. You could do one day, you could do two day, you could do three, um, and then they also have the awards um, after. G'day, I'm Lockie, and welcome to D2C Slingshot, a podcast where we interview brand founders and industry experts to help you out on your own journey, and I hope you enjoyed this episode. G'day, everyone. Welcome back to the D2C Slingshot podcast. Today, I'm joined with Cecilia, the founder of an amazing handbag company. You just want to give yourself a quick introduction and rundown on how you started this business. Hi, everyone. My name is Cecilia Aronson. Um, uh, handbags is called Kessa and Conk. Um, and I started this about four, probably been seven years ago now. So it's going strong and fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. And what made you jump into starting this business, especially a handbag business? Uh, actually, I created my first handbag when I was nine years old. So <laughs> I think it's in my blood, to be honest, a little tiny tie-dyed bag. I sewed it from scratch and I went to the markets and sold it. And I was like, right, okay, I'm going to run my own business from now on and, and then corporate came up and all the other stuff came up but I came back and steered back right to handbags always handbags <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's awesome so you just mentioned your corporate job back then uh, like do you just want to explain like what you were doing before you jumped into this business oh actually I I originally had an extensive career in the arts. So I was a product developer. I used to go to the trade shows for Kelly Lane, um, Homewares. Um, then I went into interior design. I was a photographer. I was always creative. Um, and in I had an interior design company for roughly around six years and the GFC came along and all the builders started uh, left, right and centre falling over. And I thought, oh, okay, maybe I should get a steady job. And I started working for a massive um, engineered stone company for nine and a half years. So that was, I went from architectural specification right through to state manager. Um, I managed Queensland operations, Melbourne, and then national business development. So right up there. <laughs> um, loved it. And but it just didn't feed the soul. It just wasn't who or what I wanted to be doing at the time. So. Yeah, for sure. And you spoke a little bit about uh, feeding your soul then. I understand like your mum's had a pretty big impact in your life. Do you just want to uh, quickly explain yeah, why she's had such an impact on your soul? Well, my mum immigrated to Australia when she was in her 20s um, with my dad and they didn't have any family or friends here. So they immigrated completely by themselves, thrown in the deep end. My mum was a radiographer, my dad was a cabinet maker um, and things happened and, and my dad, domestic violence, not nice. He left, went back to Finland. Um, but I grew up seeing a really strong, resilient mum. Like she was a single mum and I just thought it was normal that women did everything. You know, I thought it was normal that you, <laughs> as a woman, you know, you just did everything. Mum did everything, fixed cars, <laughs> fixed anything broken in the house. I just thought it was completely normal. So that's what I grew up with and I thought that, that's who I am. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, that definitely shows with your previous experience as well, starting multiple businesses, climbing the corporate ladder as well. Yeah, she's always yeah, been cool. So you also, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, she's always been one of those people that if something happens, so she was here for 19 years as a radiographer, qualified radiographer, and she went to have her third child. 
and um, the government just said, oh, look, you know, you're foreign, we're not going to recognise your 19 years of Australian uh, experience that you've put in as a radiographer. And anyone else would just, you know, shut up shop and shut down. She's like, okay, fine. I didn't like radiography anyway. I was ready for something new. So she went at the age of 40 and restudied in um, venipuncture, which is like kind of like drawing blood, and went, nope, don't like that. Then she went on to pharmacy and studied minerals and vitamins and pharmacy assistant. So she's always just shown that you don't just stop at one thing or just it's not one thing isn't the be all end all. You just keep going. Yeah, for sure. And that definitely shines through in yourself as well. You spoke about going through the global financial crisis and possibly having to pivot uh, some of your jobs or businesses during that time. Just want to speak about some of the challenges that come with that, like moving from, say, running a business to the corporate world and then back to running your own business again. Yeah, well, it was interesting because the corporate world was where I thought I was supposed to be because that's a society's expectation to get a job and do the stable thing. You know, you work your way up. Um, and I realised, yeah, that's not me. Um, <laughs> I realised that you can, you know, in the corporate world, the hardest part was no matter what you achieved, no matter how much success you achieved, it was still the company that achieved that success. It was never your own. And the expectation on yourself was always more. So no matter how well I achieved, like at one stage, um, when I took it over, I think it was only 500 slabs a month. Um, I had over 3,000 slabs a month and I was beating Sydney and Melbourne. Um, and that's unheard of for Queensland, for, for a, a, a national company. Um, but it was still the next month was how much more. I thought, you know what? Yep. It's just, it's not worth me spending all this time getting the exact same wage, making putting millions in somebody else's back pocket. <laughs> I'm like, it's got to be more. You know that song, it's got to be more to life. <laughs> and no. um, I'm not saying that running your own business is easy at all. It's a roller coaster. There's ups, there's downs, there's times where you want to curl up in a ball and then there's times where you get an amazing win and something happens and then you feel this instant gratification and it's really different from working for a corporate giant it's probably the best way to put it it's completely different you know you when you get past those challenges in your own company you feel like you've succeeded better for yourself or you feel like you've achieved more you know it, it's it's a better sense of recognition for yourself i suppose <laughs> yeah for sure and you had that previous experience with running the business for 10 years and then moving into the corporate world did you have any like self-doubts when you went to start the new business after being in the corporate yeah. world because you had to like sort of fall back on that, Is that if that makes sense? Yeah. Uh, it, it, the hardest part was going, oh, I'm so used to having the massive big wage and the pretty car and the big title and everything and going, oh, I've got, hang on, what's going on? I'm by myself. You know, when I started the business, you don't, you don't have a massive team that can help you um, and you don't have a title. You're by yourself half the time and you're just plugging away and you get distracted and, <laughs> and it's frustrating. It gets really frustrating. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's very different, definitely very different. Sorry, I don't know if I answered your question, yeah. though, did I? <laughs> yeah, I was just, uh, yeah, just wondering about if you had any self-doubts like going back into yeah, running your own business. And you do have that title straight into CEO. <laughs> yeah. Everybody has self-doubts and everything you do. And I think the biggest thing 
is when you're running your own business, you might do something and you look for someone. You, when you're in corporate, you have a boss that, that tells you what to do and it's all funneled down. But when you're the boss, you have to make your own decision. And if you're indecisive, it's not fun. <laughs> so and the hardest part is sometimes you turn to family or friends, but they're not in the same headspace as you. Like they're not entrepreneurs. They don't think the way we think. Um, completely left to center. So the best advice I would give people is do not go to your family and friends for advice because it just makes you feel like you're not doing the right thing because they don't get it. <laughs> and that's not because they're <laughs> yeah. not wanting to be supportive. They just don't understand what you want to create and bring in a hundred handbags. How are you going to fund it? How are you going to do this? You know, and every, I think I go through saying to my husband the other day, I probably design maybe one or two handbags a day in my head. And then I have to sit there and sift through which ones I'm actually going to put on paper and put into design phase. Yeah. And I, I think our routines, especially important for entrepreneurs as well. Like it probably took me a good two years to get into a proper routine. And yeah, as you said, you don't have that boss telling you what to do every single day. Like you're your own boss. Now you actually need to figure out what you need to be doing on a daily basis. And I reckon that took me a good two years to get into a routine, understand what I actually needed to be working on. So if anybody is out there struggling a bit with it, um, then go out and network with other people as well. And I feel like that really helps um, set some standards and stuff like that, rather than going to family and friends, like you said. Yep, hundred percent. That's the biggest thing I found when I started because I was very headstrong. I could do all this by myself. I saw my mum do everything by herself. That's normal. But it wasn't until I went to my first um, networking event. I went, "Hang on, there's people out there like me. Oh my gosh!" And you talk to them, and it, and and just they they've been there before. If you've if you're networking with people that have been there before and have the answers for you, you can might save yourself a year or six months worth of heartache or headache. You know, it's it's taking what they have done and their knowledge and listening to what how they inspire you and going, oh, okay, it's normal to have ups and downs. It's normal to have a roller coaster. It's normal to do all this. Um, and I think that's really important is surrounding yourself and attending events, anything you can do. And and, and we there's a, a joke that I saw at the Yells Mum. They called it business besties. Find yourself a business bestie, not your best friend. She's okay. She's still good, or he. Um, but find your business bestie the one that you can really bounce ideas off in the business world. Yeah, for sure. And I, I have a few group chats that I go to and just throw ideas in there and they will either tell me, oh, shit idea or that's a really good idea, keep pushing for it or maybe maybe I'm having a bad day and I can just go in there, throw a few ideas around and be like, no, you're on the right path, you're doing it well. Like, look, look at your last six months of growth you just had or whatever. Sometimes you just need that reminder as well. Yep, 100%. <laughs> it's just that little... Now, Instead of fighting against yourself in, the, in, your, in your head, it's, it's actually having that bouncing board. Yeah, for sure. Now, you just spoke about networking. I understand you went to the Osmumpreneur event. Do you just want to explain what that is and yeah, how the event was? It's actually amazing. I actually won a ticket. So um, thanks to Project Kind. She is so amazing. Um, so I won a ticket to go to the conference and I was over the moon. Um, but what it was about was bringing all the mums that are running businesses into, um, it's a, normally a three-day conference, so it's a mastermind, and then there's two, there's you get all different options. You could do one day, you could do two day, you could do three. Um, and then they also have the awards um, after. 
Um, but the amazing part about it was listening to everybody's stories from some women that were in law through to e-commerce, through to brands. It was a massive mix of different um, type of people, but they also broke you out into breakout rooms. So you had the e-commerce space and the service-based space, which was really good because sometimes you listen to service-based businesses in e-commerce and go, well, that doesn't fit my profile. Um, but um, my, my favorite talk probably was the founder of Kiki K um, and Carly Brown official, but both of them were really raw, just real. And, and it was about the fails and how they got back up again and then failed again and then, you know, listening to Carly Brown talk about her first marketing job, and I think it was in a toilet cleaning business, and she's like, it was so glamorous. <laughs> you know, it's just the real stuff that inspires you because you can go to talks and they talk about, you know, I'm 10-figure business, etc. but it doesn't make you feel good as a small owner sometimes because you go, oh, well, hang on, well, what's wrong with me? Why am I not at 10, 12 figures? Um, uh, not that high, obviously, but... Um, you know what I mean, six-figure, whatever they say. <laughs> Keeps yeah. going up as we see. Every, every new marketing thing goes up and adds a zero. <laughs> um, but Osman was really nice. It was good. It was, in, it was a really interesting, uplifting event. I walked away super motivated, wanting to start another business, which was funny. That, that'll be next year. Yeah. How, how do you handle going to events like that? All these ideas come rushing in, like you just said, you wanted to start a new business and maybe some shiny object syndrome was creeping in. How do you handle that? Well, I journal it all. So I have a journal of all my ideas that I, as an entrepreneur, you have thousand and one coming in. Um, I journal them. And if it's something that I know fits for that time or works, then I start implementing it. Um, so aside from the handbags, I won't go too much into it, but my husband and I run a driving experience. So we build race cars, <laughs> sort of a left to center. But um, yeah, so it's it's something that, look, I, I don't recommend jumping on 10 different bandwagons and you just run thin. You stick to what you know and stick to your passion. But if you have all those amazing ideas, come in, journal them, put them in a book, write them down, nut it out, everything that's going on, and then at least that's there later on for if something fails or doesn't work or you're in that different point in life where you want to start that idea. Yeah, for sure. That makes total sense. And you spoke a little bit about diversity there, but also race cars. And before we jumped on today, you told me a little bit about being in jail in Africa on a Mad Max or something. Like you just wanted to touch on that story because I thought it was pretty interesting. Nothing's, um, I've heard nothing like that on this podcast. So well, I haven't actually even told many people actually, but I'm, I'm able to talk about it now. So it's okay. It's pretty funny now. Um, well, my husband was over, he's a stuntman and he was filming the, um, Mad Max, uh, I think it was Fury Road at the time, um, in Africa. So I was staying with him. Um, I think it was normally you get about a, a I think it's a 90 day visa when you go to Africa, particularly Swakamund, um, is the, the Namibia area of Africa. Um, anyway, so Australia has this standard visa, no problem. But unfortunately, we take for granted in Australia um, everything from just everything that people are going to do the right thing by us. Um, I was heading to the airport. I'd only been there 50 days, if that. 
um, and they had a thing where they were stamping in the passports the wrong return dates so they could find you. But this one was taken to a whole new level. So I had a valid visa. I was there legally, um, but I went to the airport and the guy said, look, you need to go right now. And I'm like, what do you mean I need to go? I need to talk to your superior. I need to get in the plane. You know, I didn't think anything. He was telling me nicely, go. Um, and then the customs lady came out, took my passport, literally started watching me, wouldn't let me leave, wouldn't followed me into the toilets to make sure I didn't escape. I'm like, what is going on here? And I said to my husband, there's something <laughs> really wrong. Um, so he called production. They tried to come down as quick as possible, but I was put into the back of a car and taken to the local jail. And I, they just, no checking you in, no knowing your name. They just took your passport and I got literally thrown into a jail cell um, in Africa, yeah, in Swakamont. And um, at the time I was, okay, what's my game plan here? Right, back back up against the wall, I've got my boots on. If someone tries to, you know, whatever, kick, do what you can with your boots because you're you're a little girl, you're not going to get far, but your feet, legs are going to be your strongest asset. So um, that was my game plan. And I had two, three ladies in the jail cell with me that came out to have a chat. Two of them couldn't speak very good English. Um, and learnt, I just just sat down with them and learnt and understood them, um, why they were there. And it's, it's really interesting. Um, in Africa, if you do something wrong, steal a chocolate, have a bar fight, anything like that, you go to jail, but you go to a holding cell. So there's no beds. It's literally blanket on the con- concrete and a hole in the floor for a toilet. And then you might be held there for maybe three, four months until they decide to take you to court. So these women, some of them have been there for months. Um, so I just had a chat and we talked about, you know, I didn't t- drive from Australia to Africa. <laughs> I had to explain what a boat was because I didn't know what a boat was. And uh, I just, I walked away going, wow, we are so lucky and grateful. And honestly, we have bad days, but far out, there's people out there who have worse days than us. You know, imagine getting caught in a situation that you have no control over and stuck in a jail for six months until you await trial. Um, anyway, the the um, uh, Doug Mitchell, who's Kennedy Mitchell Miller Productions, um, came to my rescue. He um, had the whole had a special forces team there trying to break me out. <laughs> um, it was pretty intense. Full on prison and- break. <laughs> um, we, we, they, they found the guy to do the fingerprinting, picked him up on a somewhere because he doesn't have a car, um, and then they got me out and then I had to go to court and I had to say that I purposely overstayed my visa even though I had a valid visa. Otherwise they could put you back into jail again for trial. So yeah. he, he was amazing. Honestly, Doug Mitchell to this day, every now and then I'll we'll flick an email and say hello when he calls me his jailbird friend. <laughs> Um, but amazing production team. They really do look after their, their staff and friends and family and everyone. So yeah, that was it. Just, just that little thing. (laughs) Yeah. What a wild story. (laughs) You'll be telling that for the rest of your life for sure. (laughs) I probably will be now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So while you're over there, you mentioned earlier that as an entrepreneur, you always have thousands of thoughts going through your mind and I'm sure while you're in jail in Africa, there was thousands of ideas going through your head, probably a bit more concerned with getting out. But did that translate into any designs for your handbags or anything else within your life? 
Yes, well, I actually really wanted to set up a um, supporting women. There's a foundation over there that I wanted to set up supporting women in that have been incarcerated over in Africa. Um, and I started uh, supporting that for a little while, actually. And the hard part was Australian people don't understand. And in their minds, they're like, why are you supporting women that have done the wrong thing and are in jail, but they don't understand that the women might be in jail for something that's not out of their control. Um, one woman was there because she, the town, it's really bad, rapist tried to rape her. She defended herself with his knife and he died, but he, she was the one in trouble even though they knew he was a town rapist. They knew he was the problem. Unfortunately, because there's just a lack of, understanding and education um and then the hard part is being in australia it was very hard to portray that so it, it i did work with it for a while what we did do which was pretty amazing um was when you go to africa a lot of people support the um, orphanages but the orphanages have got it all set up they know what they're doing <laughs> um it's more about the schools the schools is where if you want to support someone in Africa, just the schools are amazing. Um, so the, the hard part with the schools is the kids might get dropped off at say six o'clock in the morning when mum goes off to work or dad goes off to work uh, because parents aren't at home. Um, then they'll, their class, there might be six or seven, um, grade one or two, but their class might be in the afternoon at two o'clock. So they have to wait all day in the sun uh, waiting for their class. And by the time they get to their class, they're absolutely brain fried. Um, so when I was over there, I hooked up with another lady on set and a couple of women and we organised a massive container full of books and toys and um, and hoped that that container would be set up as another classroom. Um, we tried to talk to local container companies about donating containers as well, um, trying to help set up stuff like that. But it's 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 very different. It's really, it makes you appreciate a lot of things in life and nothing's really that bad when you, you come back and go, wow, we are so spoiled in the country we have. <laughs> it's probably the best way to put it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, there's some crazy um, yeah, different countries out there. I just went to Vanuatu. I didn't experience it to the level that you did, uh, but like going past some of the hospitals and jails and stuff like that, it's like I hope I don't get like a, like a cut arm or something like that. Like I do not want to go in there. So yeah, very, very fortunate. We are, aren't we? And, and are those poor kids in the school, like they're so amazing. <laughs> they just want to learn. Yeah, yeah, same with Vanuatu. Like we saw a couple of kids and like in schools and stuff, and they were just like, yeah, yeah. they they love being there. So yeah, yeah. The other at the cool. Moment, so taking. Yeah, sorry, you go. Ah, <laughs> uh, 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 you go ahead. I was just going to say the the other thing that I support locally, which is an amazing um, initiative at uh, in Brisbane. Actually, they're based in Brisbane. Is called Dress for Success. Um, amazing company so what they do is anyone that's going through maybe they're homeless domestic violence he or she doesn't matter um what they do is you can go in set up an appointment they get a stylist come in give you toiletries a suit um clothing for whatever you need to face like might be you know court date or it might be an interview a job interview so they set you up with everything so you have the confidence to win that or, or get that position 
Um, so I do, um, I do love supporting them. So that's something local. Do you want to support anything local? They're amazing. <laughs> oh yeah, cool. That sounds really good. Yeah. Yeah. Do you do you supply any handbags or anything like that, or like how do you support them? Um, clothes. Big driver for clothes. Um, every time I sell a bag, I give a small portion of the bag to them as well. Um, I normally go down and buy up on all their clothes too because it's all designer <laughs> um, and it's all secondhand, but it's all good quality. They're really particular, but it's it's good quality products. And everything you buy or um, goes towards supporting more people that are obviously not able to, to kit themselves up with a good wardrobe. Yeah, for sure. Now, has has anybody gone full circle? Like, have you helped somebody out, and then later on, they've come back to buy a handbag from you because that you helped them out to begin with? Well, when I was in jail, um, I had a request um, when they had me out in the main area because I said I refused to go back in. Um, they, I said, could you to the um, Doug Mitchell? I said, Doug, could you please buy everyone a chicken burger and bananas? And he's like, what? I'm like, chicken burger and bananas, we have to buy them for the guards too. Um, so he asked his guys to go buy everyone. And there was what, what happens in the jails is they take all people's food, um, any, anything that they bring to the jail, the, the security guards take it. Um, so I made sure there was enough for them. And then I made sure there was enough for the girls in the jail and the bananas particularly because of the magnesium. Um, sounding like a mum. But um, when I went to court, I actually met up with one of the girls. She's like, oh, my God, Mrs. Celia. I'm like, what? Uh, How did you get out? And she said, I said, did you get the bananas and burgers? And she's like, yes, we did. (laughs) So that would be my biggest full circle. I just, I wish I could have done more for them. I ended up getting a big, um, uh, like, clothes and everything like that um, and put it all together for, for them. But it's hard to know if it makes it to them or not. You don't know if it gets to the jail, yeah. if it goes to the yeah. guards. Um, so I did vitamins, minerals, everything you could do. But, yeah. Oh, at least you got that one full circle moment. So that's really good to know that you help somebody out like that. Yeah. Hopefully we can do more. Now, shifting focus back onto you obviously quarter four is a massive time for e-commerce what are some of the plans that you have coming up well it's interesting because i used to do a lot of hallmark events um sales etc but i found you're competing with lots of people in hallmark like you're competing with everyone um, for sale periods um so i find the best strategy is to work with something that resonates with your brand but can actually um work on a different level with your clients. So, for example, my biggest success was um, is uh, International Women's Day. So International Women's Day, celebrating women. Um, and it's because it's got that emotional connection, women celebrating themselves and, and positive in the positive light. It's no longer just a generic hallmark event or sale. It takes it to a different level. Um, that's something interesting some companies could look at or or small brands can look at is aligning yourself with different sale dates. Don't get caught up in the the big hallmark events because you're paying for it through your your marketing and your your actual ad spend because you're you're competing with everyone else at that time. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And even like for the eco-conscious, like friendly brands and stuff like that, like um, what's that day where they turn off all the lights around the globe or they try to and like Earth Day and stuff like that. There's a calendar online, it's 365 days, but you can actually have a look at what 
national day it is. And there's National Martini Day, which is a good one. <laughs> yeah. um, there's, a, there's a variety of days. There's National Juggling Day, which if you're a mum, you could align yourself with National Juggling Day and talk about, you know, juggling all that you have to do as a mum. There's so many days that you can really be creative. Yeah, I swear every day is a different day for something. So if you do have some random weird niche that you're selling in, I'm sure there's a day for that as well. There is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So for for your brand, what's coming up over the next six months? Do you have any big like marketing activities or anything like that? Or is it sort of being like put on the back foot and more planning the new business or what's going on? No, so still Kester and Conk, I love it. Um, so I've got quite a few new designs coming up. I think 2024 is going to be big in metallics, um, big in really just edgy. My, my brand is New York Street style, so think um, with, with, with elegance and class. So like really edgy pieces, really statement pieces, um, but still have that classy elegance to it. Um, and I'm focusing a lot on that metallics. I've got some beautiful um, metallic bags that I've designed, and they're actually on the water and they're on the way here. Um, I've got some beautiful leather metallic jackets, and I mean, full metallic. It's pretty amazing. Um, gold, I think what would you call it? gold Rush and Silver Fox. That was one of them. <laughs> um, and um, but there's a lot coming up. Obviously, there's um, I've got the She Awards coming up. Um, I'm nominated for e-commerce e product of the year, which is exciting. Um, that's coming up next week. Um, and then there's the all of the Hallmark events, which we all still do. But um, Black Friday, obviously, Cyber Monday. Um, I find if you get in a bit quicker or earlier, it's far better than leaving it right to last minute. Um, and then next year, I really want to uh, knuckle down and focus on another new product range coming out. So with my handbags, I try not to, um, what's the word? I don't stick to, to trends. It's not trend-based. It's not about, oh, that's out. What I do is I'll design something and it will last. It will transcend seasons. And I find that's a, a better option because a lot of people – go out and fast fashion. They go out, buy a heap of clothing and rifle through clothing and fashion really quickly. My brand's more about slow fashion, taking a, a break, slowing down, having a, a quality piece that lasts you, it might last you 20 years, but at least using that piece for a long period of time. It's a statement piece. Um, it doesn't, it won't go out of fashion. <laughs> um, I haven't had anything go out of fashion yet, um, but it's about just really emphasizing you don't need a new handbag every week that makes sense or every month yeah um and buy a quality piece over buying something cost effective because it just ends up in landfill really quickly and it's quite funny yeah actually. for sure and i yeah yeah go ahead oh i was just going to say um it's a controversial subject um, i don't know if i should say it um but a lot of People buy vegan bags, but the hard part is a vegan and PU bag actually takes about 500 to 1,000 years to break down. But the problem is they don't last as long as a leather and, um, and it's a real cost-effective throwaway product. So it's, yeah, yeah, there's some things to talk about, but that'll be another story another time. <laughs> 
<laughs> now I love controversy on this podcast. So he gets the um, TikTok and the reels going. So yeah, it can, <laughs> you can shit on them as much as you want. I don't really mind, but yeah, it is an interesting um, yeah talking point there. So yeah, a lot of brands do claim to be eco-conscious or environmentally friendly or whatever, and then like you realize that uh, maybe it's actually worse than the alternative. I think there was a study done about the um, reusable, uh, not reusable straws, those like paper straws. And apparently they're like so much worse, they're causing cancer and stuff like that. So, um, and that's potentially worse than the plastic, which they all got rid of. So yeah, there's stuff like that coming out all the time. And yeah, how how are you even supposed to know with all this marketing going on about what is actually eco-friendly? Yeah, well, I saw one where they said, oh, look, it's, completely eco-friendly bag um we plant a tree for every bag sold it's completely natural biodegradable bag i was like well i just saw that bag online at one of my suppliers um and it was about four dollars and it's not eco-friendly it wasn't biodegradable it wasn't any of the above it's all the marketing and the hype that they put through but i can't i can't so i swear but i can't on it, what I put out is genuine. Like if, if I say it, I mean it. I, my mum's taught that's one thing my mum taught me. You don't be telling stories. <laughs> that's not what you do. Um, and that was the hardest part. I designed. I've got some PU products at the moment, and I'm moving back into that leather because I wanted to do the right thing. And really, when I started investigating it, had my drop, and I went, "Hang on, these bags look PU bags, polyurethane, all PVC. PVC is the worst." Um, but a lot of people claim that they're vegan, but vegan doesn't mean it's eco-friendly at all. Vegan just means it doesn't use an animal product. Um, but the problem was vegan took, when I did the homework, 500 to 1,000 years to break down one bag where an organic leather bag will last you longer, won't break down, more expensive so you get longer use out of it, um, but it only takes 200, one to 200 years and it's a byproduct providing you you get source your, your leather and your hides from your right factories as well and the manuf- manufacturers. But it's very different. A lot of people don't realise that. So get, realize yeah, it. dark industry. Maybe we'll have to do an, another podcast on this, but yeah. we better wrap this episode up for today before your mum starts messaging me and telling me to stop sharing <laughs> your stories. Uh, so, yeah, thanks so much for coming on. I hope everybody enjoyed this episode. And do you want to leave the audience with any last words? You know what? Your future self is going to thank you for never giving up. That's what I want to say. And in Finnish, we call it Sisu. So if you ever get a chance, S-I-S-U, um, Google that. There's no English explanation, but it's the second and third win and the fourth win and the fifth win. It's perseverance and that's what you need in small business and just keep going well there you have it unfortunately this is the end of the episode but if you're looking for more be sure to find more episodes on the platform you're viewing on or head over to instagram to find tons of valuable clips